This podcast is presented by Tom and Suzanne Crimmins, the owners of Tom Crimmins Realty. Along with Tom and Suzanne, it's our hope that this show helps shine a bright spotlight on our area and celebrates what makes it an extraordinary place to call home. To learn more about our community, sign up for our newsletter, or to simply find your dream home on Staten Island, go to TomCrimmonsRealty.com. The Honest Eye Podcast is part of the Our Community Plus Lifestyle Network and a member of the local independent online news or Lions Publishers Initiative. We're proud to be one of the hundreds of organizations across the United States and Canada supported by the Democracy Fund, Facebook Journalism Project, Google News Initiative, and the Knight Foundation, and we love doing our part to elevate influential voices from our hometowns. Now, on with this month's show. On this episode of the Honest Eye Podcast, after a two-year hiatus, Fleet Week festivities are back in person, affording the citizens and visitors of New York City an unparalleled opportunity to meet sailors, Marines, and members of the Coast Guard, and the chance to witness firsthand the latest capabilities of today's maritime services. Also this month, we introduce you to our local Hero of the Month. This Dongan Hills native is using his influence as a professional athlete to talk about mental health and promote positivity, good sportsmanship, and service to others. Plus, a look back at a local husband and wife duo who've spent decades embodying what it means to be altruistic, donating countless hours and effort to those in need in many meaningful ways. Hello, I'm your host, Patty Murphy. After a long pandemic pause, New York City is welcoming back the brave men and women of the military for Fleet Week. That tops our island hopping segment, our take on noteworthy, local, and positive things you need to know this month. After the two-year COVID hiatus of in-person events, civilians get the chance to say thank you to those in uniform once again. Fleet Week is the city's time-honored celebration of the sea services, including the Navy, Marines, and Coast Guard. 2022 fully in-person festivities kicked off with the parade of ships on May 25th, followed by tours running through Memorial Day weekend. Some 3,000 service members are present for the week-long event, and an estimated 100,000 visitors attend to learn about what a life of service looks like, from public ship tours to aviation demonstrations, military band performances, and interactive displays. In 2019, about 103,000 people took tours of ships moored throughout the city or saw aircraft displays at various parks and schools. The Joan and Alan Bernacow Jewish Community Center, or JCC of Staten Island in Seaview, announced it underwent an energy efficiency overhaul that reduces the electricity usage of the facility by 60% and significantly shrinks its emission footprint. A total of 1,800 fluorescent light fixtures and lighting controls were replaced with an LED system that uses less energy on sunny days when the city's electrical grid could be strained by heavier use by taking advantage of natural light. Con Edison covered $185,000 
of the $474,000 cost of the project, which saves the JCC 400,000 kilowatt hours of energy a year, the utility company shared in a release. The JCC offers a wide range of programs for Staten Islanders, including exercise classes, education, counseling, and more. The latest upgrades prevent the yearly emission of 277 tons of carbon dioxide, a greenhouse gas that contributes to global warming. The total is the equivalent of removing 60 cars off the street. Also, this month wouldn't feel complete without one of the borough's most notable traditions, the 103rd Annual Memorial Day Parade. After the parade was replaced by a patriotic convoy in 2020 due to the coronavirus pandemic, the annual event returned in full force last year, marking the first major public event in the borough since the start of the health crisis and offering a sense of normalcy to residents. The parade along Forest Avenue honors service members who have made the ultimate sacrifice defending our country and freedom. Now, we are proud to bring you our local Hero of the Month, a segment made possible with support from Tom and Suzanne Crimmins of Tom Crimmins Realty. In this installment, we introduce you to Isaiah Wilkerson, a Dongan Hills native who is spearheading projects, events, and efforts to help local youths through athletics and activism while pursuing a professional groundbreaking athletic career. Isaiah, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. I'm so excited to speak with you today. And first things first, I want to start by talking with you about your early life. So can you describe to our listeners the influences you had as a young man growing up on Staten Island? So I'm the youngest out of six and I, you know, five boys, one girl. And my first influence was my brothers, uh, me, my brother Malcolm and my brother Azim, we used to run around the Berry homes all the time playing basketball. We used to play at PS11, pretty much just following them, trying to play on the court. I was a young kid, I was a crybaby too. So I used to, you know, if you didn't pick me, I was crying. If you picked me and we lost, I was crying. If, if you didn't give me enough shots, I was crying. So it was just like, now looking back on it, it was just the passion that I had for the game mm-hmm. or basketball at least, or any sport. It's a, you know, I'm just a competitive person, but it was, um, you know, the first influence was, was my two older brothers, Malcolm and Azim. And then, you know, after them came my older brothers, because, you know, as a little kid, you're around, you want to be around your kids. And then as I got older playing, I started, you know, my brother, Hassan, who's one of my mentors, he became a big influence. My brother, Sean, on the basketball court became a big influence. And then, you know, kind of around the eighth grade, my father grabbed me up in a sense of, because he was working, doing sanitation, he retired, so he had more time. Mm -hmm. So when he had more time, he kind of grabbed me. And I remember from about my sixth grade summer, summer of sixth grade through middle school, we used to have like on the weekends in the summers, we used to have like five games a day. And my father would bring me to every single one of them, every single one of them. And, you know, we grew closer. My father seen the growth. He worked me out. And then um, my sophomore year, 
what really happened was my brother Malcolm got hit by a car. So he got hit by a car and he broke his whole left side of his body. Mm. And the only way he was gonna be able to ever walk again if he ran on the beach and he started working out. So my father took me and my brother down there and my father was like, yo, you're gonna run with your brother. So I'll be out there running with my brother every day, me and him running, 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 running. And to the point where me and my brother Malcolm was just sprinting, used to be sprinting the whole ball walk, running the sand. And that kind of kick-started what the worst ethic that you that people see today. You know what I'm saying? It became kind of a way of life. And then, you know, as I progressed through life, it just, I kind of kept that foundation. Mm-hmm. Always stay close to my roots, knowing, you know, where I started, keeping my friends close and, you know, keeping my family close. So those are like my biggest influences to start off in my early, early life. Makes sense that your family would play a role in your conditioning. Right. But I want to dive into your dedication to good sportsmanship, fair play, and especially service to others. So what or who do you think played a significant role in that drive? That's a very good question. It's layered. The first layer will go to, I would have to say my father. So, so my father... As I got to the tail end of my high school career, my father started working in uh, PAL Play Street. He started working in community centers after retiring from sanitation. He began to kind of change these places around, like in little ways, like the PAL Play Street, he did a new brand, right, 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 right by the projects. And the way he did things was like, these kids had a great time, it was amazing. He always had water for the kids. He always had arts and crafts. Then he always went the extra mile. Then he started working at PS13, which is right in Rosebank. So he started working there. Same thing, went the extra mile, doing, you know, making sure the kids had a safe place to play, making sure they enjoyed it, making sure that it was fun, all of the above. When he went from there, he ended up at IS-49. So I think this was the biggest impact we've seen because when he was at IS-49, he basically, he started working for the Beacon program. So at the Beacon program, you know, they didn't have no tournaments at the time. They had no middle school tournaments. Nothing was really going on in the gym. It was just straight open gym. Things wasn't structured. And then my father came in and kind of changed it around. A lot of those kids was off the street. A lot of those kids was, you know, they was focused, they was going to school. And if they wasn't going to school, they had a job. Like they was, everybody was kind of on the right path. So that, you know, that first layer definitely came from my father. And then, you know, I kind of carried that through, always trying to help, always trying, you know, just to do things. I just like, I never looked at it me helping. I just wanted to do it. But then, you know, what really made me be like, I have to give back was when the pandemic hit and I stopped playing, I wasn't able to go back overseas. And I went into, I'm not gonna say a depression, but I didn't, I wasn't myself. I wanted to play, didn't get a chance to play. And instead of me kind of like, not like kind of just caving, my best friend, Marcus Gooding, one of my best friends, one of my best friends, he told me like, yo, I got out of my depression by helping people. So I'm here to help you. So every day he would get me in the gym get me in the gym, working out, working out, working out. And, uh, you know, he'll bring kids to the gym. 
and he'll be like, yo, Zay, you got to be a leader. Like, nobody cares that you're missing shots is bigger than you. You got to be a leader. And I started getting joy out of helping people again and helping kids learn this and learn that and talking to kids. And then, you know, it kind of snowballed and now we got Zay Day. So I'm excited, you know, it's so it, it kind of went into layers with that. You know what I mean? It is a layered question. Thank you for sharing so much and being candid. Mm. I do have to acknowledge that you're very accomplished for your age. So can you talk about some of your career highlights so far? So far, uh, I played in a D league for two years, NBA D league. I was voted to top 40 elite camp. I played in uh, many different countries, Mexico, Puerto Rico, Estonia, Sweden, Finland, Poland. I think I hit everyone. I went to NJIT. My bad. I'm, I'm backtracking. I'm all over the place. I'm sorry for whoever's listening. But <laughs> yeah, I played in many different countries. But prior to that, <laughs> I went to uh, I went to NJIT. And uh, first year we was oh we was one in thirty. Second year we was ten and fifteen. Third year we was fifteen and fifteen. Fourth year we was fifteen and fifteen and made the conference championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I became an All American. I was voted uh, top player in Jersey out of all Jersey schools. I was also um, thousand point scorer. I think I scored like sixteen hundred points or something like that. I think I grabbed over eight hundred rebounds. I played the four in college. Not a lot of people know that because they think I'm just a guard, but I played the four. I had to guard like six, eight people. So I was playing out of position the whole time, um, which was cool. It taught me a lot. It taught me about perseverance. Right. Taught me about, you know, I gotta, I gotta survive. Like no matter what comes at you, you gotta get through it. So got through NJIT, made the D League, uh, played overseas, pandemic hits. And I'm sorry for whoever, you know, is listening. I'm, I'm kind of fast forwarding through, but pandemic hits, I'm chill. I'm basically home for two years, suffered great loss during those two years, lost a couple of people uh, were dear to my heart, but you know, I kind of stayed on the court. And then one day I'm playing at Gaucho's gym uptown and I just asked a friend of mine, Craig Moore, I'm like, yo, what, what's up with three on three? Like, what's up with that? Like, you know, I, I want to play. So he starts giving me the rundown. He was like, yeah, we, we're interested in you playing or whatever, but you know, we want to make sure you want to do it. It's a different type of game. And first trip was to Dubai and we lost every game <laughs> I played I, I individually I was scoring but it's not an individual game it's either you win or lose mm-hmm. no matter how many points you score so we lost every game but then we went to Japan this past maybe like a week ago two weeks ago now and we came in second and right now we're ranked second in the world I'm ranked 11th in the country and I'm ranked 114th in the world individually right now. So my goal is to make the Olympic team. I want to go to the Olympics and play three on three in the Olympics and win a gold medal. That's my goal. I think it's, I'm going to, I know I'm going to accomplish it for sure. But um, it's one of those things where I look back on everything I've been through and it's kind of like, I'm supposed, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, that, that's like the fast forward version of my career. <laughs> I appreciate you unpacking it because I know if I tried to do it, I would miss something. And right, right. I know we're just skimming the surface, but 
the bottom line is while maintaining this professional athletic life, you've also continued to be involved in so many good works. So now can you talk about some of the community events you've been proud to be associated with and including Zay Day, which you had mentioned earlier. So like if you have an event and I, I personally know you, I would call you and be like, you know, do you need something? Do you need me to donate water? Do you need whatever? And I'll just bring some water. I don't want, I don't want my name on nothing. I don't want people to know I did it. None of that. You know what I mean? So a lot of the things, a lot of the, the community stuff I've been a part of, I've been a silent donator to it. But the, the community stuff I have supported in terms of being a spectator, in terms of being an advocate for it, uh, one is bigger than basketball, ran by uh, Nehemiah Tripp and um, Daryl Grady. They do a beautiful, great job with the kids. They, they run a middle school tournament in Clove Lakes uh, every summer. Another is the Holy Mo tournament. Uh, is ran by Moses Day. He's a former New York basketball player. Also a standout. His tournament's been running for about 15 years. Mm-hmm. And at first it started between a friendly neighborhood rivalry between different neighborhoods and kind of just grew to the point where like, even like the kids just like, yo, we playing in the Holy Motor shit. Like it's it's become one of those things. And, you know, definitely support him. I basically, anything that's positive and that has something to do with basketball, I'm, I support, you know what I mean? UTL, uh, there was a tournament called Rumble in the Jungle over by uh, Manus Harbor. Do you want to unpack UTL? So UTL started about 10 years ago now. And it's crazy because at first, when the very first year started, I didn't play. I just watched. I didn't play. But then the second year, it got big. And I'm like, oh, I got to play. It's in my it's in my park. I got to play. Like I grew up here. And then we had a house team, which the home team, everybody from the Berries is playing. And we were good. So I was like, yeah, this is like an every year thing. So we started playing. Every year I would come back and play every year. And then over, you know, the past few years, I haven't played ever since the uh, the park got done over. And the reason why I haven't played is because um, I was kind of focused on doing different things for my professional career. Not that I didn't have time, but it wasn't gonna be productive for me to play. And I wasn't gonna be all the way committed to that situation at the time. So I didn't wanna say, yeah, I'll play. And I got guys relying on me to play, and I really can't. I always supported, you know, UTL. UTL is a great tournament. They do a great job. People do the best they can. You know what I'm saying? As long as you do the best you can. And it's Staten Island. Anybody that basically does, you know, positive things that I, you know, through basketball and I'm able to be there and able to help out, I try to help out. But I try to be the silent guy. I don't want to, I don't want people knowing I'm helping because it's not what it's about. But what about Zay Day? Because I know you are promoting that right now. Roughly between seven and nine years ago, a good friend of mine named Cesar Sanchez got killed in the berries. Ever since then, I wanted to do a one-day tournament. But they started doing Caesar Day. So Caesar Day is where they have, you know, baseball game, basketball games, because Caesar loves baseball and basketball. Everybody comes to the park. And it's a great time, you know. But then this year, you know, for the first time, I'm home. And the parks is open. So I'm like, I make a phone call to Anthony Garrett, who runs uh, UTL. And I'm like, yo, I want to do a one-day tournament. How can I make that happen? 
And he's like, yo, why don't you just do it on Caesar Day? And at first I was apprehensive because I wanted Caesar's Day to be Caesar's Day and because that's about him. I didn't want my name on it. But then, you know, they kind of talked to me and was just like, yo, you was his favorite basketball player. If anybody could do a day on his day, it would be you. So I thought about it and I was just like, you know what? Yeah, let me do it. So now that I'm doing it, we're having a block party. We're having four basketball games, nine and under middle school, high school girls, high school boys. Uh, no unlimited game this year. We're going to try to do one for next year, but this year is just about the kids strictly. We're talking about stopping gun violence through all the tragedies that's happened in the past two weeks. It's, it's prevalent that we do that. It's, you know, it's very important. We're trying, you know, to, to bring peace to our streets and hopefully that will spread throughout the rest of the country. But we're trying to bring peace to our streets as well because we, we see a lot of violence and we hear about a lot of violence in our streets, especially nowadays with these kids. They need to know like, yo, there's, there's more to it than just that. You know what I'm saying? Um, we're gonna be real. Um, we understand how things are. We understand that sometimes people get into disagreements, we get it, but we're trying to figure out, let's do another solution instead of turning and either and taking, you know, taking the life of somebody or, you know, hurting somebody. Maybe there's another solution. That's super powerful and very important and timely. Obviously, everything you're associated with, the way you've shared your mindset, it's obviously imbued with positivity and perseverance. Can you describe more about your leadership philosophy and perhaps what your personal mission is? One day I was, I was talking to somebody, I was in Jersey, I was at NJIT and they said, they said, yo Zay, you'd rather live in a gym than die in the streets. And I said, hmm, yeah, that makes sense. He was like, I'm telling you, live in a gym so you don't die in the street. So I was always in the gym. But I started seeing that people followed action more than they followed my words. So my philosophy was, I gotta do it for you to do it. So, you know, even like right now I'm coaching at Abraham Lincoln High School, I'm coaching the varsity team, assistant coach. I'm still able to play, I still play. I'm still in shape to play. I can still come down, pull up three-pointer. I can still work the pick and roll. So my philosophy was always been, yo, lead by example, always. Be the example. Cause if you're the example, there's no excuse. They can't say nothing to you. I'm still, the, I'm the same kid from the Berry Homes. I tell people all the time, I'm still the same crybaby kid from the Berry Homes. The only thing that separated me was from anybody, if it did separate me, was the work I put in, or I tried to put in. And my the work I tried to put in was never for praise, it was never for, it was just something I did organically and I wanted to do. And I personally, and I, it's not to like downplay it, but I really feel what I did wasn't, like there's so much more I could do, I feel. There's so much more, like I'm, there's always something else I could do. So I'm like, yo, I didn't do nothing yet, but yeah, you know, my philosophy is always lead by example. And, you know, personally, I just try to stay the course. I'm process oriented. I'm not really goal oriented. If you're goal oriented, once you hit your goal, you stop. If you're process oriented, there's always a next step you gotta go. You know what I'm saying? So I believe if you improve your process, 
you're you're only going to be successful. You always stay in your process. You always, you know, you always be learning. You'll forever be evolving. So, you know, that that's kind of my philosophy with things. Yeah, all these concepts are universal and I think transferable. And when we had talked earlier offline, you had even mentioned mental health being somewhat of a passion of yours. And truly yeah. this whole mindset that you're describing absolutely, I think, leads to resilience for individuals, teams, and even organizations if they follow these concepts and principles. No, yeah, because, you know, even just, just to piggyback off mental health really quickly, us as older adults now, especially in my generation, we gotta, st- we gotta tell these kids, yo, it's okay if you don't wanna play basketball. It's okay, it's okay to be a doctor. It's okay to go to school, get great grades and do something else. You don't have to be a basketball player. Like you're still cool if you don't do certain things. Like you're still a good person. Like you don't have to be that. And that's the issue, that's what people don't understand. When you're dealing with basketball and you're dealing with always, you always play basketball, you have a singular thought pattern and your singular thought pattern is on basketball. I'm a basketball player, I'm a basketball player. But what, what, what happens when basketball stops? Nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about how the kids going through a mental issue, how the kids turn into, and you know, like I said, I deal with reality, mm-hmm. how the kids turn into probably, you know, anything be, between pills, drugs, alcohol, just to get through pain that they don't know where it's coming from. And it's coming from a place where basketball is very temporary. You're very blessed if you're able to play basketball or be in the business of basketball for your life. You're very blessed. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't work as hard as you can and try to become the best basketball player you can. But what I'm saying is a kid should always be encouraged to be well-rounded. You know, if you go play basketball for two hours a day, work out in the morning, work out at night, in between that, where they're not playing basketball, they should be working on something else about themselves. So when basketball ends, they don't go through the depression. Mm-hmm. They don't go through, yo, what do I do now? They don't go through the identity crisis that a lot of us go through, and we don't even realize that we're going through it. Even to this day, I go through it. I still go through it. Sometimes, you know, you get that ego with you, and you start thinking like, yo. And that's where us as adults and basketball players, that's where we hurt the kids because we don't pass down the lessons we're supposed to pass down because we're going through our own. Mm-hmm. We're still learning. Mentally, my thing to any adult out there, to anybody out there that's dealing with kids, to the kids, work on being a well-rounded person, a well-rounded person at all times. Because I'm telling you now, it could possibly not only save you from a lot of heartache, it can save your life if you work on being a well-rounded person and just working on your mental health. Having me- Being healthy mentally is more important than being healthy physically at some point. You know what I'm saying? It, you gotta have a balance, but yeah. you gotta work on both. You have to. I love that conversation. I love this conversation. And I even love that one specifically, like which came first, the chicken or the egg, a healthy mind or a healthy body? They definitely are (laughs) so closely connected. Right, right. So, you know, and that's just, and that's another thing about Zayday. We're going to preach that that day. We're going to, you know, I'm going to get on the mic and let the kids know, you know, it's okay to, to play basketball. And then after you go play basketball, go learn how to play the piano. It's okay to play basketball and then go home and learn how to cook or learn how to draw or go read or, you know, 
think about what other interests you want to do, whether it's photography, videography, like whatever you want to do, it's okay. And I think that's part of the culture we have to start shining light on. I love that. And I think that's the perfect way to wrap up the conversation. I just want to say thank you again so much for being so generous with your knowledge and experience and being on the show today. Thank you too. And finally, in case you missed it, in our last edition of On SI, we honored Forbes and Helene Irvine for the decades they have spent serving the borough and beyond through Kiwanis Club projects and initiatives with a focus on helping kids. Here they are. You know, I started at age 13 as a, you know, candy striper at the old Staten Island Hospital. So I've always been out in the community. It was just the way we were raised. I mean, you know, as a, a young mother, I was class volunteer mom, like involved in school while my son was going to school. And then with Kiwanis, it just developed from there. I think a lot of times you, you, you just ask yourself, if I don't do it, who will? And uh, yeah. so you just say, you know what, I will. You know, you can't solve every problem. There's only X amount of time and X amount of money, but you, you try and do the best that you can. And really at the end of the day, if, the, if you've done the best that you can, it's been it's a good a day. day. That'll do it for this edition of the Honest Eye Podcast. On behalf of Tom and Suzanne Crimmins, the owners of Tom Crimmins Realty, thank you for listening. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at tomcrimmonsrealty.com. We feature stories that matter to locals. If you have one you'd like to share, email it to us at stories at honestsi.nyc. Until next time, be well.